This is the Work Smart Hypnosis podcast session number 67, Peter Blum on neuroplastic healing. Welcome to the Work Smart Hypnosis podcast with Jason Lynette, your professional resource for hypnosis training and outstanding business success. Here's your host, Jason Lynette. Welcome back. It's Jason Lynette here with a very, very fascinating session. And I would very briefly reference, there's a principle in business that of running the applications of how you reach out to your audience, your potential clients, as being that of a dog whistle. And what I mean by that is imagine for a moment to apply a little bit of our good friend hypnotic metaphor, you're at a dog park. And you have a trusty dog whistle that apparently only dogs can hear, yet I can hear them and they're kind of annoying. Though it's this moment where you blow that whistle and maybe there's two or three dozen dogs there at the dog park, but maybe only four or five of them come running over to you. So I'd reference that in advance because when you listen to this conversation I'm about to have with Peter Blum, there's some themes that we're going to start off on that it may be too easy for some of you to go, that's not for me. Though what I want you to hear in terms of these concepts of shamanic healing, these concepts of healing through sounds, everything is grounded through science. Everything is grounded from a real world approach to how we actually interact with our clients. And I love though the aspect of not necessarily using these modalities with every single client. So back to that dog whistle principle, this is how as a business strategy, my hypnosis business is called Virginia Hypnosis because I'm in Virginia and I do hypnosis. And to look at that website, I'm positioned as a generalist. I see smoking cessation. I see weight loss. I see fears. I work with people with medical issues, which definitely listen through this podcast session because Peter and I get very heavily deep into working with clients with medical issues. So it's that statement that not every marketing piece that I would put out would be a match for everybody. And that's intentional. Yet it's allowing those people that hear the message that they need to hear to rise to the surface, raise their hand and express that they are interested and then reach out, make the contact and then get the help that they absolutely need. So this brings us full circle to this concept of neuroplastic healing. And I reached out to Peter as I saw that he and former WorkSmart Hypnosis podcast guest, Michael Elner, session number three, are doing a pre-convention offering up at the NGH convention this year, August 2016. And all the details for that are over in the show notes at WorkSmartHypnosis.com. So Michael, who I've known for years, Peter, who I've been getting to know in more recent years, and reading over the content and really just from my own fascination and enjoyment wanting to have a conversation about this as well. And I'll tell you, you're about to hear us jump into themes of sharks and Pac-Man and singing bowls and just covering a whole wide range of strategies, which just simply... I'll tell you now, just simply listening to this conversation, it will inspire you to help your clients in even better ways. So let's jump right in. This is session number 67, Peter Blum on neuroplastic healing. We usually kick off by playing origin story. So just kind of kick us off. Tell us a little bit of your entry into hypnosis, how you first got introduced to it. Okay, well, I mean, uh, go back in time to the years 1985. I'm in my late 30s and working uh, whatever I can do to uh, support a small family. I used to tell people I don't know what I want, want to do when I grow up. And I was a journalist at the time. I had been involved in a lot of metaphysics, yoga, meditation, various forms of spiritual pursuit, but... I was writing a series of articles for a local paper on alternative forms of healing. A lot of things that are now mainstream and accepted and are even in some cases insurance reimbursable were just starting to get more popular. So I interviewed a chiropractor and an acupuncturist and someone doing shiatsu. And I, I part of the research was that I, I got sessions in all these modalities. So then I got a call from a, an old friend, person I had known 
from like 10 years before named Richard Zarrow. And Richard had gone out to California about four or five years before and had just returned back to my hometown here in uh, the Hudson Valley of New York State. And Richard said, I am practicing Ericksonian hypnosis and neurolinguistic programming. I saw the series of articles you're writing. I think what I'm doing would fit in well. And I had no idea what he was talking about. I didn't know what Ericksonian hypnosis or neurolinguistic programming were, but I went over and interviewed him. And it was fascinating. And even with a lot of experience with meditation and uh, different forms of uh, you know, playing with consciousness. I had never really had any direct experience with hypnosis and had very, very limited frame of reference. And so Richard talked a lot through a bunch of books and articles at me. But the best thing about it was since I was doing uh, experiential research, he uh, took me to his office and he put me in a chair. Uh, he had this chair that was made by Panasonic. It was called the getaway chair. Mm-hmm. And it was a luxury recliner with built-in, you know, rollers that go up and down the acupuncture points on either side of your spine and footrests that vibrated and wings with speakers in them that you could put a cassette tape, that's what we were using at the time, cassette tapes, in and here. And he put a cassette tape in of something called a double induction, two people telling two different stories at the same time, one in either ear. And then he put headphones and goggles on me that were hooked up to an early version of what we now call, you know, alpha theta brainwave machines. And he plugged those in and, uh, and he, he, and he left the room. Basically. <laughs> <laughs> well, it sounded like the chair was already doing a lot of the work for him too on top of well, it. Well, <laughs> between the, the chair and the cassette tape and the goggles and the headphones, I was gone. I, I later found out this is a technique that we might call overload. Mm-hmm. You know, I had certainly more than seven plus or minus two bits of information coming in at the same time from all of my senses and the two voices were telling a story that was, you know, to induce a state of relaxation and, and to excite the imagination. And it was a fantastic experience. So that was great. And, um, but I said, you know, I'm not, I, I'm, I'm still curious. I said, Richard, that was like, I need to come back and talk to you some more. And I came back the following week for the second part of my interview. And I said, well, you know, that was, that was wonderful. I recognize that state. It's not a, it's it's not an alien state. I had thought it must be something totally different. I said it's not all that different from states that I've experienced on my own in in meditation or deep concentration or kind of. He said exactly. I said and, and you didn't you didn't do anything. And he said yes exactly. So he was really introducing me to the idea that a lot you know self hypnosis. All hypnosis has a self-hypnotic component. The hypnotist and the model that I use is the facilitator, the guide. But really, they're engaging your imagination so that you can make changes and see things differently. So I said, well, that was great, but what would I use it for? And he said, anything you like. And I thought, well, you know, at that point, I was a lot more arrogant than I am now. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, I really don't have any problems, you know. <laughs> so, but I am an avid tennis player. Could I use it to improve my tennis game? And he said, absolutely. So we did a, a second session that had no chair, no goggles, no headphones, where I, I stood and he did something that I later learned was more related to a, an NLP anchoring of excellence technique and create, help me create a, an association with a particular word and posture of entering into a state of excellence that was associated with playing tennis. And then I, I went out that week and I, I played tennis and I, I beat people that I had never beat before. And it just all seemed very dreamlike, like the ball was, you know, twice the size as usual. And I was moving, everything was in slow motion at all the time I, I needed. And, you know, I went, marched back into his office a week later and I said, okay, I'm a believer. I don't know what this stuff is, but it works. Within six months, I I wrote the article. Within six months, as fate would have it, I had reached that point that there's a metaphor that's sometimes used in corporate coaching about putting a frog, 
you know about the frog in boiling water? Yeah, that it'll eventually yeah. it, it'll jump out if it's hot, or it'll stay right, until right, it's too right, late. right. If you put a frog in a pan of water, so they say that's cold and slowly heated, the frog will boil to death. If you throw a frog into a pan of water that's already boiling, it will hop right out. So I I was in a situation where I was slowly, slowly boiling to death, and I I, I needed to leave, and it was you know. I couldn't figure out where to jump. So my friend Richard said, look, why don't you do what I do? I'll train you. I think you'd be good at it. You're natural. I'll train you and I'll bring you into my practice. And uh, my practice is so busy that I really, I need someone to download some some of the excess clients to. And I also need someone, uh, business is booming. I need someone to manage the office for me. So for the first year while you're my intern in training, you can run the office and I'll pay you to do that. And I, I said, this, this sounds like the proverbial offer that I can't refuse. <laughs> and that was in 86. So I'm, I'm actually celebrating 40 years in the profession, which seems extraordinary. 96, or maybe it's 30, 30 years. That's right. My math is a little off. 30 years. But that's still a really long time, 30 years to be doing something. I never did anything for longer than five or six or 10 years. So 30 years of doing this. And uh, I love the field. I love the work. I, I hope that I can continue to do it for a while longer. I worked with Richard for about three or four years. And then we parted ways and I went off and I've had a private practice ever since. And I've been an instructor for the NGH since 1993, so I have trained hundreds of hundreds of people, and I also enjoy that part of it, and uh, I think that's it. Yeah, I love that, and I share one of the reasons I reached out to you is just the fascination that you're somebody from many different modalities, many different approaches. I mean, even to browse your website, it transitions along the sidebar from NLP to hypnosis to sweat lodges and shamanic healing and singing bowls. And I, I'd ask you, how much of this would you say is putting variations upon a similar theme and just attaching different terminologies? Really, how much of a how much of a barrier would you put between these different modalities, these different approaches that you have a passion and background in? Uh, not a heck of a lot of a barrier, you know. I mean, one of the quotes there was that Erickson, who is my personal hero, even though I never met him, I've studied his work and, and his writings and watched films of him and about him. And in one of them, there was a, a sociologist, an anthropologist, who was saying, uh, Dr. Erickson always encouraged me to study the the trances of the people in in Brazil and in Bali as an anthropologist when people would be playing music and dancing and go and be possessed by spirits and go into a trance and stab themselves and not be hurt and you know he said it was the same phenomenon but from a different psychosocial context and different cultural context and that always that always stuck with me that that uh, it's it's my own curiosity that has led me my own passion what where where it takes me and and i so i seek the inclusive you know in in nlp they talk about meta programs and i seek the inclusive one what is the what is the connective thread between all the things that interest me i think everybody kind of does that you know and so my own particular stew or goulash, you know, and we all cook it up. And I encourage people, if you're coming from a dance background, then think about how dance, you know, works with hypnosis if you're studying hypnosis. If you're coming from a linguistics and you speak several languages, think about the language component of, of hypnosis. You know, there's always, you know, movement, language, what, whatever sports, you know, what states of excellence in sports, whatever so I, I've been a musician all my life, and I've also been profoundly affected by teachers who, from coming from indigenous shamanic and, and medicine person settings, tribal people. And I, I 
put together something a few years ago called Where Three Rivers Meet. And it's a, you know, a training that I've done a couple of times, which is the braid, you know, the, the idea of a braid, which is in, with hair, you take three streams and you're sort of crisscrossing them and uh, making them into a, one, one stream. And so the braid for me is these three rivers meeting and those being hypnosis, uh, sh- shamanic perspectives and sound healing. And I do employ all, all of them. When people come to see me, my, I have a couple of different business cards. <laughs> the one that I've been handing out longest uh, just says, you know, medical and clinical hypnosis. And the other one that I started giving out later has a picture of singing balls and it says sound healing, shamanic interventions, uh, and lists among my credentials that I'm uh, certified, you know, uh, a, an, interfaith minister. So again, if somebody comes to me for hypnosis, I might not talk about those things, but I might. I want to feel out who's coming to see me and if that's something that they are amenable to, leaning towards, have knowledge of, have curiosity about. Otherwise, I'm just, I may alienate them and that's never the intention, right? You want to make it comfortable for people. So if I get somebody who's very medically, scientifically oriented, I'm probably not going to take out my drum or my singing balls and my, you know, my, my owl wing, <laughs> but, but I, you know, you never know. Right, they're, they're right. all sitting They're They're sitting there around my room. If people come into my office and they see, I have some gongs and a drum and what, whatever. If they ask questions, I follow where their attention goes. T- tell me about a time where perhaps, you know, maybe from the initial phone conversation, you would have thought incorporating these sounds would not have been appropriate, but then maybe you followed that hunch and it, it found to be the right choice. Mm, can't think of anything specifically off the top of my head, but I, what I will say is that in the last oh, half dozen years, I've been working more with, in, in the sound healing work, more with tuning forks. Mm. And uh, tuning forks are are nice because they're, well, they're tuning forks. They're not something from a strange, exotic culture. They're not alien. They're, it's a tuning fork, and people are familiar with them. And I, and I can explain it in terms of, you know, these, these tuning forks are tuned to a particular number of beats per second, and they vibrate in that way. And there's a scientific explanation for how I can use them to tune your brain. And uh, it's based on the principle of entrainment. Now, that's the same principle as shamanic journeying uses. Although a lot of people who use a drum for shamanic journeying might not know that. Because I was curious when I got involved with that. And that's a a form of, of exploration of consciousness for healing and guidance that was popularized by an anthropologist named Michael Harner, who wrote a book called The Way of the Shaman. And, and it involves lying down and somebody playing a large frame drum with a very regular beat. And I started studying this in the late 80s, right around the same time as I was learning about hypnosis. And it was interesting. I had a foot in each world. And I'd go and I'd work in Richard's office, and he'd have these, these goggles and headphones that were, you know, people would put on and it's very scientific well it's listen it's goggles and headphones it's electronically mm-hmm. produced pulse light and sound you know it's, it's technology it's a machine <laughs> so that's it's within the parameters of, of the western scientific approach and then i go in between the evenings over to get together with my buddies and tie bandanas on and lie on the ground somebody would play this drum and we journey and that's what they call it shamanic journey and we'd go and we'd meet our spirit guides and and the beat of the drum is very regular, and it, it, it kind of goes like this. It's not a syncopated beat. It's just a very regular beat. And I was so curious. And You know, the, the brain waves, just for our listeners who aren't familiar, this is what biofeedback is based on. Yeah. And yeah. The, the whole science of neurofeedback. and that Our brain is always generating electrical energy and it, it's in different frequencies and those frequencies correspond with our state of consciousness so if you're 
you know, normal waking state is most people are walking around conversing and conducting business. And if you hook them up, you find they were in beta. Beta is the fastest state. It's 12 to 25 cycles per second. And the next slowest one down is alpha. Alpha is 8 to 12 cycles per second. That's, you know, spacing out, daydreaming. If you yawn, if you close your eyes, you go into alpha for a few seconds. We all go in and out of alpha many times during the day. Uh, lighter stages of, of trans, early phases of, of meditation, people would be generating alpha in biofeedback. You learn through, through five feedback, through to seeing a light go on or a sound go off from electrodes that are hooked up to your body to calibrate this, say, oh, okay, so I'm in alpha. So alpha is good. Theta is even more interesting. Theta is 47 cycles per second, and that's the state that corresponds with deeper states of hypnosis and deeper, more experienced meditators who plateau in alpha and then drop down into theta. So 47 is very, that's the hypnagogic state. That's the state in between waking and sleeping where we, we have insights and breakthroughs and, and new ways of understanding, aha moments. It's a good one. And the delta is the deepest one. That's 0.5 to 3.5 cycles per second. So the light and sound machines generally start people out in beta and then with pulse light and sound. And because of a principle called entrainment, which says it's a general overall uh, overarching principle in physics, it says that two objects that are oscillating close to the same frequency, if brought into proximity, brought close together, will tend to vibrate, will match. It's sometimes called the frequency following effect. Mm -hmm. So the brain is producing these frequencies, and if you suggest to it through pulse light and sound, oh, let's, let's, let's slow down. We're starting data, let's slow down into alpha. As the light and sound slows down, the brain will go along with it. And so it's a way of just very naturally, organically moving a person into a deeper state, into a more contemplative state. So I'm curious. This is back in 1988, and I take the drum, and I take, out my, I take my wristwatch off, and I'm watching the second hand go, go around, and I'm, I'm playing the drum. And, and it's about 280 beats per minute. And I divide that by 60, and I'm like, hmm, that's between four and five beats per second. Hey, that's theta. How about that? Could that be that these ancient medicine people and shamans intuitively, without having the, the EDGs or the you know, oscilloscopes or anything to hook up to the brain, they intuitively knew that certain rhythms were more conducive to people going into a, a contemplative hypnotic state. That's where I go back so to the word modality, that we look at the word modality, and we'd often look at hypnosis as a modality. Some would even separate NLP as being its own separate modality or anything else of this nature. And to look at it as that word involving just, let's call it transportation, we're often arriving at that same place in the mind. There's just a different way to get there. Exactly, exactly. And, uh, you know, like uh, I'm going to Kansas City. And I, I might take a train, I might take a plane, but if I have to walk, I'm going to get there just the same. Mm -hmm. So, so this is great, and this was a, a a revelation for me. And so, using the drum for people who are open to that is fine. But not, again, I don't want to, you know, I want to be in rapport. I want to make it safe. I want to make it comfortable up to a certain point. There are some people where it's good to push their boundaries. You want to introduce something a little exotic little magical, little exciting. They like that. But for a lot of people, you don't want to freak them out. So tuning forks do the exact same thing, but they're tuning forks. They're what's used to tune a guitar or a piano. They're very safe. And so I have now a set of five tuning forks. They're called the brain tuner set. And they're tuned so that there's a, a fundamental. And then there's four different forks in the what happens when you, you strike two of them and you hold one up to each ear is that the brain perceives the, the difference tone. It's a binaural, what do they call it, phenomena. Mm -hmm. Binaural phenomena. Binaural means two ears. We have two ears. And so we hear things through two ears. And if I hold a fork that's vibrating at 256, which is a middle C, 256 beats per second 
by one ear, and then one that's vibrating at 270 by the other, 270 beats, the brain will perceive the difference, 14 beats per second, which is in the beta state. And then if I hold one, the 256 and one that's 265, well, that's 11. And, you know, so I can ramp it down so that it's perceiving a slower and slower frequency. And as it does so, it matches step just as it would with the drum or any for the, the alpha theta brainwave machine. So it's tuning forks. And I find that it's very easy, very easy to transport. I just stick them in my pocket and pull them out. I say, here's some tuning forks. This is pleasant. And I give the people a five-minute explanation, just like I did now about, about entrainment and the brainwave frequencies. And I said, but you know... You don't really even need to know about this. Now, for some people, it's a good overload technique. You start talking about this stuff, right, Jason? Yeah. You follow me? You know, you start talking about, you know, brain waves and treatment. It serves as a bit and, of confusion induction for some. And binaural, and they're like, oh, whatever. Just, just hit the damn fork, you know? <laughs> Let me listen to the sound. Either just you know? ask for eye closure at that point or just yell the word sleep. It's either going <laughs> to... Yeah, yeah, you know, and, and I say, and you don't have to listen to me, blah, blah, blah. You don't have to understand. The inquiring minds want to know if you like to know about this stuff time, but otherwise, here's the good thing about this. You don't have to understand it for it to work. And I'll tell you what you I'm loving. Have... I'll tell you what I'm loving about this is that it's a category that far too often people would be a little critical of. They'd start to cast judgments and assessments on it before they even know about it, though, for the listener you know, participating in this hear that everything is coming from a place of research and science, which is kind of how I want to transition us over to working, you know, with our clients about the, the mindset of creating new neural networks, this whole concept of neuroplasticity, which is one of the biggest buzzwords of, you know, just to bring it into the process of working with a client, how, how would you kind of characterize if there is like an overriding goal, if there's overriding themes that carry into a session as someone's there sitting with Peter Bloom, the hypnotist. You are far more powerful than anybody has ever told you or you've ever let yourself believe. Now, is that about me or is that for your client? Because I'll take the compliment. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> we'll leave it. We'll leave it. Uh, Interviews over. Delight. You're on the homepage of the Work Smart Hope yeah. website. Thank no, you. We'll leave it, uh, <laughs> Sorry. Go you ahead. Know, what, what do they call it? You know, de delightfully vague or something like that. You know, deliberately vague, uh, yeah. ambiguous, artfully vague. But you know that every person it can benefit from having somebody in their corner who absolutely believes in them and is telling them. You can, you can do whatever you put your mind to. You, you can't even begin to imagine what is possible for you. Don't let the limitations of, of others' limiting belief systems keep you from, from attempting. You know, Tony Robbins, who a lot of people have mixed feelings about, I don't, you know, the guys, took, he took NLP and he ran with it. Yeah. He made it his own. He built an empire and he helped I'd always, I'd always point out right. it's kind of like that moment where this was before I was born, though quite familiar with the history of the movie of Monty Python's Life of Brian, where people were protesting it and they hadn't even seen the movie. I think I think most right. of the critics of Tony Robbins haven't actually right. interacted haven't with his material. Yeah. Right. right. So, Tony Robbins says, what would you attempt if you knew you could not fail? Yes. If I gave you a written guarantee that you could not fail, what is it that you've never even allowed yourself to consider? So, you know, this is opening up horizons of possibility. We don't know. I mean, you know, Michael Elner and I are, are together. We're, we're, we've worked, we've known each other, uh, for, you know, 20 years and, and, or at least, and we've co-taught together and we both, are great believers in the empowerment of others. You know, that through, through learning hypnosis, through experiencing hypnosis and self-hypnosis, it opens up a panoramic view of what is possible. Maybe you've been looking through you know, tunnel vision for years. Robert Anton Wilson, who's a great writer and thinker, 
uh, he was, I don't know if he coined the term, but he talked about, you know, your reality tunnel. And it's, it's like you're looking through down this tunnel, and that's your reality. And, and there's, uh, there's so many other ways of looking at things in, in, in Transformations, which is a wonderful book that I recommend to all my yes. students, which is uh, transcripts of Grinder and Bandler's early seminars on hypnosis in, in NLP. And I will definitely means. link to that over in the show notes because the, to find the original, to find it's now out of print and classically, yeah. I've, I've had students be able to grab copies for like 25 bucks though. Yeah. The yeah, challenge well, is there's a lot of books. They can, they can mm. contact me and I will send them the PDF. <laughs> <laughs> All right. No, go. seriously. Yeah. But you know, in, in that book, they said, you know, if you could, just for one second, be inside someone else's mind and consciousness and perceptual reality. It would be more powerful than the most powerful psychedelic drug you could put your hands on. It would, it would, you would be on such an altered a reality trip because we're all thinking, oh, this is how things are. And everybody's wandering around with their own, you know, we have no clue what somebody else's worldview or reality or, or reality tunnel is. So this, this idea, you know, we're coming historically out of the age of Descartes and the, the mind body split and, and uh, the body as machine and the, in the seventies and eighties, there was tremendous groundbreaking research. And I was very fortunate because my first instructor, my mentor, Richard, the fellow I, I mentioned before, Richard Zarrow, was really into this. And, and he, I have in front of me an article that he wrote in the spring of 1989. And I just want to quote a little bit from it because it, it bears directly on what we're talking about, neuroplasticity. He says, recent scientific mind theories use the metaphor that the mind is a kind of biocomputer taking and processing mental image pictures called holograms. These images have been found to change the emotional and physical structure of the body and even objects outside of it. For example, Penn State psychologist Howard Hall took blood samples from a group of subjects and established their white blood cell count. White blood cells are our first line of defense against invasion of foreign bodies. Then Hall taught his subject self-hypnosis, also called variously autogenic training, progressive relaxation, guided or creative visualization. Ask them to imagine their white blood cells as hungry, powerful sharks devouring the cancer cells. Children were asked to imagine Pac-Man. Remember Pac-Man? Yeah. Well, some people do. Pac-Man traveling through the body, through the bloodstream, eating bad cells. An hour later, Dr. Hall took their white blood cell count. It had risen on the average from 13,508 to 15,192. A week later, it was 18,950. Hall commented that for some inexplicable reason, the mind can influence the body by changing the biochemistry of the blood. I mean, that's, that's what, 25 years ago, more? You know, to be honest, the images of a hungry shark eating a bad cell or Pac-Man coursing around the bloodstream are ridiculously simple, perhaps even silly. And those silly pictures held before the mind's eye when the body has relaxed its muscles affect us almost instantaneously right down to the cellular level. He then goes on to say, imagine then what the impact is of our own self-image, the mental image picture of who we think we are not only in the health of our bodies, but also in the quality of our lives and the we love. We carry around that picture of how we see ourselves, not for 24 hours of Dr. Hall's experiments, but 24 hours a day, day in, day out. So I would tell a personal anecdote here. I've worked with people with, with cancer, with tumors, and uh, visualizing them. And you have to use the imagery I found. This is my, in, in my IMHO, you know, in my humble opinion. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Everyone who says that is obviously not humble. But in, <laughs> I have found that my belief is you need to use imagery that's comfortable for people. And so uh, for some, some people, the idea of, of how this, you know, like those are too aggressive, those images of sharks 
or if things eating it. So, so maybe just, you know, like, uh, uh, weeding the garden or whatever it is, whatever image is comfortable for them. But I've helped people using self-hypnosis and imagery to shrink tumors. I've helped people change their, their blood sugar level, change their blood pressure. You know, um, I worked in a doctor's office in the nineties. I had uh, a fellow, the doctors would refer people to me. And when they hired me, they said, we know what we do. And we're holistic in our approach. And we believe that every chronic condition has a stress component. And uh, so we would like to have, and we have, we believe in a mind-body approach. And we need somebody in our office. We had somebody, they left. We need somebody to handle the mind part of it. We'd like to hire you. Can you do what you do without using the H word? (laughs) (laughs) I said, sure. This was in 1996, 97. I worked there for two years. And the sign on my door said, Peter Blum, Director, Stress Management Department. So they would send people to me and the people would come and they'd say, I'm not even sure what you do. Dr. Ken or Dr. Steve told me I should come see you. And I said, well, I'm going to teach you some um, body relaxation you know, some body scans, some progressive relaxation, some, some breathing techniques. Use your mind to visualize things, maybe work with examining your language, change how you, you, you express yourself, change. Basically, I was teaching them self-hypnosis without ever using the word hypnosis. <laughs> so I had a fellow came to me by referral from the doctors with high blood pressure, wasn't able to down-regulate his blood pressure. And the guy was an engineer. So it was obviously a scientific mind. I said, okay, what I'd like to do is call the nurse and have, you, have her take your blood pressure before the session. The nurse, fine. The nurse came in, took his blood pressure. It was, it was high. And I said, fine. And, and, and I said, so now I just want to talk to you for a while and close your eyes and listen to me. And I, I, I don't remember how I started probably something about, you know, focusing on your breathing and relaxing the muscles and, you know, fairly standard stuff. And then I started talking to him about nature and about beavers. I said, you know, beavers are the engineers of the animal kingdom. And I, I said that because the guy's an engineer. I figured he would relate to that. And, and beavers have the ability to build, you know, dams. And it's amazing what they can do to regulate the, the, the uh, pressure and how much uh, liquid is, is dammed up and stored. But then there's also ways that they need to sometimes open up those passageways and allow the, the water, allow the liquid to flow through and create a better flow. Of, you know, blah, 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 metaphors for, you know, changing the pressure, changing the pressure. Blood is a liquid that's flowing through, you know, in enclosed uh, pipe which is called, you know, vein or uh, uh, artery, et cetera, et cetera. I never talked to him about his blood pressure. I talked to him about beavers. And uh, he came out of, he said, I feel pretty good. And I said, let's call the nurse. And, of course, his blood pressure was much lower. So he said, well, how did that happen? I said, well, I didn't do anything. Obviously, you must have done something. Mm-hmm. So this, this was, you know, he was a convert and he came back and he came back for more sessions and eventually he came to me and said, I, I, this is fascinating. I want to do this to help other people. And I ended up training him in hypnosis. And, and so as the Beatles song says, and so I left the police department, you know, and, and I said, so you can have a wonderful career as the scientific engineer of the hypnotic world, you know, and, and you can use all that scientific information and knowledge that you have in that kind of, you know, left brain approach and help people with, with their problems. So, so anyway, I obviously believe in all this stuff. Well, so what's now beautiful about forward. that metaphor that just jump in for a second is that we can look at it in terms of the whatever illness or disease may have also been going on being a direct metaphor though at the same time there's also just all of the residing stress all the residual stress around having that issue and if there is indeed a stress component that may have been causing it it's that power of the hypnotic metaphor to really go in and address it from all of these various angles that you know briefly here's a client that i was with this morning that she came in, she's someone who I've seen a number of times now for weight loss. She's down a significant amount of weight, still has quite a bit of ways to go. Yet it's this place where going into like an extended control room process was the was the clear fit for it today. 
which we had done something like that a couple of weeks back. And it's this beautiful experience of we were going in and reframing occasional moments of what I can label as appropriate hunger where, yeah, it's four o'clock you could eat, but now you have that ability to wait till when it's the better time and make better choices being the, the literal translation there. Though it's that beauty of the metaphor often may have unintended results where I did not go into anything in terms of food choices in that meeting that day. Right, and that right. was her biggest takeaway, the way that we can we can hear a song and we hear a message that's what we need to hear, yet perhaps isn't what the person who wrote the song was intending. Yes, yes. And, you know, just to enlarge the the scope of this, that there would be in a different situation with a different client, I might be addressing, like, what are the causes of stress in your life? You know, what, you know, high blood pressure is, is a response to a situation. I mean, there are diet, dietary aspects of it, exercise aspects of it, but a lot of it, you know, white coat syndrome, person goes, their blood pressure is fine. They go into the doctor's office to have it measured and they get nervous and all of a sudden it shoots up. So it is, it is, you know, supposedly part of our autonomous systems, but it's, it is directly affected by circumstance and by our thoughts and emotions. So if a person is, is not really good at responding to stressful situations in their life, and we all have them, they may need to learn some stress management techniques. So in that sense, the sign on my door was very accurate. It was about stress management. But sometimes I, I think why this story came to mind was several reasons. But one is we don't always need to, you know, examine the history. You know, there are a lot of people who are, you know, you need to find out where this first happened. When did the high I don't believe that. I think sometimes you can just go right to the unconscious and, and, and how, help the person discover that we can, we can regulate a lot of these things that we had been told that we, we couldn't by, by images and by unconscious responses that we can then sort of uh, delegate to, to, you know, you know how to do this now. Now you know how to do this, so just take care of it. And, and so anyway, so I obviously believe wholeheartedly in this. I, I'm a proponent of it. I teach to other people. Now, flash forward to, you know, eight, eight years ago, seven, eight years ago, I work a lot with this uh, wonderful psychiatrist, my friend, Dr. Louis Mel Madrona, who's the author of a number of books, Coyote Medicine being the best known one. But he's a, his, his most recent, we work a lot with story. And he's of Lakota and Cherokee descent. But he's a psychiatrist, and he's board certified in three different areas. And uh, so we do a lot of uh, workshops on, on storytelling. But he, he also teaches something called Cherokee bodywork. And uh, so some years ago, he was giving a workshop locally on Cherokee bodywork. And now I'm a, I mentioned tennis. I'm a, I, you know, this is a consistent theme, tennis player. And right around that time, I started feeling a, a, something I never felt my body I started limping and I started feeling pain in my right knee. A couple months before this workshop, Cherokee Bodywork, I had gone to see my doctor and I had an x-ray and he referred me to an, uh, you know, an osteo, uh, orthopedic osteopath and, and he took an MRI and he said, oh, Mr. Blum, you have a torn medial meniscus. And I said, well, what does that mean? And he showed me this, you know, the film and there it was. It was torn right in half and... So what can we do? And he said, well, you know, you can have surgery. And I said, well, I'm not so crazy about that. Let, let's wait a while and see, you know, see what happens. But I was, I was limping around and I was concerned about, the, you know, the future of my tennis career. And, and, and we're, we're in this Cherokee bodywork weekend and uh, we paired off and we're working with another person. And this very wise body worker. A woman named Julie was working on me and she said, what's going on with your body? And I said, well, I have a torn medial meniscus. I can't, you know, I sat cross-legged in, in, in half lotus pose and meditation for decades. I can't get my knee down far enough to do that. It hurts. I'm limping around the tennis court. She goes, well, let's, let's heal that. And I said, no, 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 but you don't understand. I, it's, it's torn. I've seen 
<laughs> the MRI. I was there in the doctor's office. We can't, I, I, I you know, I was like, I sounded just like my, my patients who are in that like stuck state, you know, the stuck state that yeah. usually starts out with, I can't. The and danger of the word because. <laughs> she looked at me and she said, have you, you're a healer, right? You, you work with people with hypnosis. I said, yeah. She said, have you seen people shrink tumors and heal from cancer? I said, yes. She said, so what? You're different? <laughs> <laughs> and she had me in that moment I realized I was somehow holding my own situation as being unapproachable you know I, I, I thought yeah I, but you know this is science and it's me and it's a torn thing and it's shredded and she said you know those Navajo blankets that get stitched together in it just visualizes just joining and being stitched together and she worked on me and I went into trance on the on the bodywork table and lo and behold, you know, within a couple of weeks it had stopped hurting and I wasn't limping and I was back on the tennis court. And and a month later or two months later I realized I was able to sit in a in a cross legged position and I could get my knee down again. And that was eight years ago. And it hasn't bothered me since. Well, I mean, of all so things, it's, it's that experience of I had two clients in the office last week, oddly enough, came in with the same story. And for one, that story of because I'm now retired, this is going to be the easiest time in my life to get into better health. And the other one coming in and because I'm re so re now retired, this is going to be one of the most difficult times to get into right. health. Right, right. So what is the this is where, where why I'm so concerned with stories. What are the stories that we tell ourselves and actually convince ourselves are true? They're just stories. And if, you know, I say, you know, there are no bad people. I'm, I'm very optimistic. There are just bad stories. <laughs> you mm -hmm. know? So helping somebody change, question their story. I and mean, that, that's what this woman, woman did. And, and I have a quote on my, on my wall. I have a number of quotes that I keep up there to, you know, sort of little, ticklers that I look at them and I remember, oh, that's right. One of them is from, from Erickson. It says, it isn't the amount of time. It isn't the theory of psychotherapy. It's how you reach the personality by saying the right thing at the right time. And she nailed me. She got me right at the right moment by, by sort of making fun of me. What, you think you're different? And I was like, no, Jesus, if I believe that other people can do this. And in that moment, Something shifted. I went from, I can't change this. It's science. It's torn to who knows what's possible. Beautiful. You know, I, I work with shamans and medicine people, and, and they, you go into this liminal world with them. And you're talking about, you know, calling in the spirits and, and, and having them move and, and change, you know, uh, reset bones and, and move muscles, and, and who knows what's possible. Not everybody can go to that place. Not everybody's comfortable with that. If I said it's somebody, it's a metaphor, and if the metaphor works, fine. If not, let's go try to diff try a different metaphor. Let's try the metaphor of science. That's, that's a good metaphor. <laughs> nice, nice. <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah, so yeah. you've got, uh, and, and bringing this all full circle, there's a fascinating opportunity coming up that you're actually doing with Michael Elner prior to the NGH convention, right? Yes, yeah. we are doing, yeah, yeah, we've got a one-day pre-convention uh, workshop on, on neuroplasticity, and, uh, you know, I was just saying to you before, before we went on air, that Michael and I have taught together many times. And, and this particular one, he put in the, you know, the description, he put this together and I said, fine, I'm, yeah, let's do that. And, and we put a few different ones in and that was the one that NGH accepted. And so, so we're, we're doing that one on, uh, I think on Thursday before it starts and uh, neuroplastic, approaches to creating health and well-being and after it got accepted i said all right well michael what, what does this mean what is <laughs> you know and, that thing uh, that we've been talking about for the last 45 minutes oh that name <laughs> yeah exactly i mean it, it's 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 the, the word that i said oh so the brain the mind can influence the body 
and 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 so this is you know what I came up with here. It's the brain's ability to be flexible and to rewire in response to experience. You know that that's it. The brain's constantly changing, not only in function but in physical structure. So it changes itself in, in two different ways. One is by adapting to what's happening in the environment. So this is what we would call experience-dependent neuroplasticity. And we're going to think of this as sort of an automatic, unconscious process of conditioning. But then there's also, it, it changes by shifting and directing our attention, which is self-directed neuroplasticity. So and, on one uh, side, helping the client to produce the change, on the other side, giving them the capabilities and the skills to continue on their own. Yes, and the belief, you know, that it is possible. A lot of people have been, you know, hypnotized by, you know, like that song, They Blinded Me With Science. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people are hypnotized by their doctors, unfortunately, in negative ways. Like, oh, there's nothing that can be done about this. You know, there's, there's, this is just, you're just going to have to learn to live with it. You know, this is, it's, it's bad hypnosis. So we don't know what's possible. I read a lot of science fiction as a kid, and I was inspired by a lot of it. And one of my favorite short stories, this is a long time ago, was about uh, the government called top scientists together, a theoretical and practical physicist. And they, they, and they said, this scientist was working on an anti-gravity device. And he had... He was in its early stages, but he had gotten it to work and he had made some, some films of his early experiments. And now remember, this, this is before CGI or anything. This is a story that was written in the 50s, maybe, maybe early 60s. This is long before computer-enhanced graphics and so forth and, and special effects. So they said they, they had a 16, 8-millimeter, 16-millimeter film. And they said, but unfortunately... There was a fire. The scientist died. All of his notes burned up. Everything burned. All we have is a fragment of this film. And, and this, they, the scientists all said that they, they said anti-gravity is impossible. Everybody knows that. There's no, no way. They said, yes, but look at this film. And they showed this portion of this film to these guys. And they scratched their heads and they went to work. And after a year, they said, well, we, we think Actually, now that we have figured it out, and we, we don't know how he did it because we don't have his notes, but we have figured out a way to duplicate what we saw in the film. And we have figured it out, and they, and they demonstrated it, and they, they had made their own anti-gravity device. And the government said, that's great, because that was all made up. That guy never existed. His notes never existed. And we constructed this film very carefully, usually using, you know, like optical illusions to make it look like something was, was powered by anti-gravity. They had to believe that it was possible. They had to believe that it had been done and that they were able to do it. As long as they thought, no, it's not possible, violates the laws of physics, that was a stumbling block. They would never be able to do it. And we have examples of this over and over again. The very common one that's used is the, the four-minute mile. Yeah, I was about to jump in with that exact example that, oh, you can't do that. And as soon as someone you did, can't. then high school kids <laughs> yeah. were doing it. <laughs> yeah, everybody's doing it. Yeah. So, so, you know, Michael has done a lot of amazing work with long-term survivors of AIDS. And he challenged the existing paradigm. In the 80s, and, 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 you know, when there was sweeping like, a, like the Red Death through, through certain communities, uh, and, and, and the mantra that was going on in the background was, AIDS is fatal, AIDS is fatal, and Michael challenged that. And he said, I want to meet, there are long-term survivors. I want to meet them. I want to talk to them. I want to bring them to people's attention. That's, you know, we need to focus on people who have lived for 20 years. I have a friend a close personal friend who was diagnosed in 1999 with chronic lymphocytic leukemia. A few years later, he had a, a spot, a, a malignant nodule removed from his lung. He has melanoma. He has three or four different kinds of cancer. He's still walking around. He's very stubborn. 
<laughs> you know, that there's some value in just saying, you know, giving the finger to the, the established truth and saying, I'm, I'm going to make my own reality here. You know, I mean, you know, that you, we, we, we can, we can take that to extremes and sometimes my reality co- collides with somebody else's reality. Something's got to give. Yeah, it could be the, so, NLP, the NLP softener of the bold statement followed by, or not, or I always tend to sure. filter back to the, uh, as a person who watched way too many infomercials as a kid growing up, there's mm-hmm. gotta, there's gotta be a better way. <laughs> and that's not all. Right. <laughs> but wait, there's another, more. Well, wait, there's more. That's another great catchphrase. You know, so this is the world we live in. We live in a world that where we've all been influenced by the commercials on TV, the movies, the pop culture, the songs that we uh, listen to, the jokes we've told, uh, the, the, the action movies, the superheroes, you know. What uh, I sometimes say, you know, like, Maybe you don't believe in in in, uh, in animal spirits or guardian angels. Maybe you do. Maybe you do believe in guardian angels. There's an amazing community of people out there who who believe that they've been contacted by aliens. You know, there's a, there are people who work regularly with the ascended masters. That's their reality. I'm saying, great. So let's invite Jesus in. Let's invite the Archangel uh, and Metatron and, and Gabriel and, and have them come down and, and Archangel Michael and, and the Kuan Yin energy of the goddess and the purple ray. And let's get with that energy because it's all, these are words that we're putting around energies that we don't know how else to call them. So, so if that works for certain people, that works for certain people, but the, the trick is to get the client engaged in believing in, in, in being curious about what, what they can change. Well, it's about navigating out of that stuck state. So I'm sure the techniques that you and Michael are teaching in terms of, you know, the bullet points here of the course about taking the suffering out of pain, improving immune function and better techniques for managing stress. It's reminding me of, I'm in the middle of doing a session with a client and I'm always one to highlight the statement that regression is not a method just only about finding the cause. We were doing a process all about, you know, like an NLP model, pulling out resources and building anchors to revitalize those empowered states. And this wasn't the goal of the of the session that day, but she brought me to what she perceived to be past life. And it's the end of the session. And her only question was, did you bring me there or did I bring you there? And I just responded, well, here's the scope of how I do it. And the, the concept of those who teach regression, the line is never lead the witness, only using appropriate direction throughout the process. And again, we're going to an empowered moment. And her line on the way out was with a smile. Well, that changes a few things. And, and I love that as a thought of just, you know, the people who would walk in and to have the goal that every reason why this used to be a challenge, what if instead that now becomes every reason this is the right time for this shift to occur? Yeah. Yeah. What better time than now? You exactly. know, I mean, that's, that's all we have is this, this moment. I know it's a cliche, but it, <laughs> it's so true. It's all we have is this moment. And is it, you know, is it filled with, with, you know, I have a picture I'll, I'll uh, maybe post it on my Facebook page or my website, but it's from a, a workshop that Michael and I did probably 15 years ago. I don't even remember what the title of it was, but written on the blackboard behind me is the phrase, opportunity is, and then the word, and then the letters N-O-W-H-E-R-E. And depending on how those letters are spaced, it either reads (laughs) opportunity is nowhere or opportunity is now here. Beautiful. It's the exact same letters, but how close is that W and the H? Does it look like two words or one word? You know, what, 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 (laughs) right? So what, what do you, you know, what do you want to do with the rest of your life starting right this second? You know, if you want to walk around feeling like a victim, welcome. You're welcome to do that. But I find that's not a lot of fun. I've, I've been there. You know, I've been resentful. 
at circumstance or at my life or at the, the curveballs that have been thrown my way. It's, it's, it's of limited value to, you know, rage and rage against the dying of the light. Like Dylan Thomas said, do not go gently into that good night, but rage, rage against the dying of the light. Well, sometimes like my friend being stubborn can keep you alive. You know, you, you need to find out what the strategies are that's going to help you get, get to where you want to go. I don't have an agenda. My clients come in and I say, what, what can I do for you? What do you want? And uh, as, as long as it's, you know, legal and doesn't involve anybody else getting hurt. No, I'm serious. Yeah, I love, I'm, that. I'm, I love that. The, the sky is the limit, you know? And I say, I would, I'd like to become, you know, I, I'm a really good gambler. And I go out and I, I, I gamble professionally. I go out to, uh, to uh, you know, the World Series of Pokers. I just came back from Las Vegas. And I understand NLP teaches you how to read body language. And can you teach me how to do that? I already do it well. Can you teach me how to read the imperceptible, the tells that people... I was like, well, I'm not a gambler. I don't play cards. But I can sh certainly share with you what I do know, you know. And you use it for whatever you want to do with it, you know, and, but, but should you be going to gamblers anonymous? <laughs> Is it a problem? If it's not a problem, then it's I've got not to edit that one and say, it's a problem if they're losing. I don't know if we label it a problem if it's working. Yeah. Yeah. It's not a problem. It's not a problem. <laughs> right. You know, I mean, if you have millions of dollars and you're losing tens of thousands of them gambling, so what, mm -hmm. you know, but anyway, are anything else, that no, we this is covered that you, this is fantastic, yeah. and I and I'll link to your website as well as this upcoming training. Uh, Michael was on this program back on session number three. So uh, for those of you listening, we finally have a search function working once again on Work Smart Hypnosis. Just type in Elner in the top left search. That's E L L N E R. Though we'll we'll link to that in this uh, session as well plus this upcoming training opportunity up in Massachusetts prior to the NGH convention. I love it because it continues that theme of, I love that you brought up stubbornness as being a positive resource where, you know, we can say stubbornness in terms of not wanting to change, but there also can be that appropriate stubbornness of not accepting that sentence of, because you have this issue. I mean, I, I briefly right. reference being, I was 17 years old and was being told I had chronic fatigue syndrome, and maybe it was just the cynical 17-year-old brain hearing that, well, we diagnosed this because you have all of these symptoms, but you don't test positive for any of these conditions. And the cynical brain went, that's BS, and I felt better within yeah. the next week. So again, yeah. there's yeah. got to be a better way, and helping our clients well, to find you know, that better way every, as well. Every word, every concept has two poles. And, uh, you know, ordinarily stubbornness is thought of as a negative thing, but we can say, but somebody's very persistent. Mm. And that's not that it has a different spin on it, right? Yeah. I am, you know, doggedly persistent in pursuing my goals. Well, that, that, that seems like a positive thing, right? I'll take <laughs> so, that. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. So, anyways, thank you so much for having me on the show, Jason. And yeah, this has been uh, fantastic. If any, you know, people know uh, the website is soundsforhealing.com. And uh, come join us up in Massachusetts. I guarantee Michael and I always, we are sworn to fun. So, you will have a good time as well as learn a lot of useful stuff in our one day workshop. All right. Thanks for listening to the Work Smart Hypnosis Podcast at worksmarthypnosis.com. Hey, it's Jason here, and thanks again for listening to this program. Thanks again for leaving your feedback over at worksmarthypnosis.com forward slash iTunes. Head over to that page. That'll redirect you over to the iTunes listing. Leave your positive feedback there. I'd uh, typically reserve this part of the program for a brief endorsement or a plug of one of my products, whether it's hypnoticworkers.com or any of my live trainings like the ones I do here in Virginia or even online offerings like learnvirtualgastricband.com. Though I'd actually pivot for a moment and encourage you, this is launching in July 2016. And what I'd tell you is we are gearing up for an outstanding season of hypnosis conventions. 
And I refuse to look at any of it as this mindset of this event versus that event. Because so far, every event I've been to, whether it's the hypnobirthing conclave, whether it's Mid-America Hypnosis Conference, or we used to have an event actually in Charlottesville, Virginia, which uh, Keith and Andy, if you're listening to this, do that again, or let me know how I can help out. As well as, of course, the NGH convention in Massachusetts, as well as HypnoThoughts Live in Las Vegas. Outstanding opportunities to really jump in with both feet, get FaceTime with some of the big names in the profession, the most dominant and prominent voices out there. So this really is a call to action to invest in yourself. Now, of course, I will throw in the plug. If you are going to HypnoThoughts Live, check out Hypnotic Business Mastery. That's the two-day pre-convention offering that I'm doing just prior to the Las Vegas HypnoThoughts Live convention. It's the six-figure blueprint for your success in terms of building, launching, and sustaining a profitable hypnosis business. Though whether it's my course, whether it's anyone else whose names you recognize, these are outstanding opportunities to improve yourself. Again, to reference another former previous WorkSmart Hypnosis guest, it's all becoming rather incestuous here. Uh, Ron Esslinger, who on here, I believe, quoted that he goes to these conventions to remind himself how much he does not yet know. Even back to the recording with Melissa Tears, she and I remarking how often we would have tables in the exhibit hall, and our tables are empty because we're attending workshops right along with you. So challenge yourself take outstanding classes. Uh, highly recommend the one with Michael and Peter that we just spent some time talking about. Either way, stop by, say hello, and it'd be great to meet you in person. I'll see you soon.